You are a loving, caring, merciful God. And we acknowledge with the book of Daniel that the Most High God reigns over the kingdoms of earth and gives those kingdoms to whomever He chooses. Lord, there is not one square inch of earth outside Your sovereignty. And all that we have and are come from Your hand. And we belong to You And we know you love us, and we know that you love this nation. And so, Father God, we entrust the United States of America to your loving care. We indeed pray for liberty and justice for all. We pray for our nation's flourishing. We do, Lord. We pray for our nation's guests, residents, and citizens. We pray for the government leaders in every branch, in every state, in every town. Give them wisdom to rule well. Give our national leaders wisdom to rule well. We pray that a partisan spirit be engulfed by an indivisible spirit. We pray for dignity and respect and the skill, the skill, the mature skill of disagreeing agreeably and we pray for your protection from the enemy we pray for safe schools safe churches safe grocery stores safe streets safe homes give us safety father bring us peace And we pray for a vibrant economy so that your generosity would flow through us to meet needs with love We pray for the voiceless and the vulnerable. Use us to minister to the helpless. Help us steward what is not ours but yours, and all things are yours. Oh Lord, you are our rock. You alone are the lasting foundation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And may this nation of yours display your glory and love. Forgive us our sins, Lord Christ. Forgive us our sins of pride, partiality, prejudice, greed, covetousness, and sexual immorality. Forgive us when we call good evil and evil good. Forgive us of our self-righteousness and conceit. Absolve us of these idols. We repent. We are sorry. We want to change. Help us lose our interest and appetite for the things of this passing world. Help us thirst for you and seek you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And Lord, send the thirst-quenching, life-giving, spring-like water of your Holy Spirit Bring revival to this church. Touch our hearts. Open our minds. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Remind us that true joy is rooted in seeking and doing your will. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to begin our teaching time by sharing with you an anonymous story. It's written in the first person. It's about barbecue ribs. Anybody like barbecue ribs here? All right, I'm barbecue ribs. Well, here's what this person had to say. And this was their experience with barbecue ribs. He wrote, I love ribs. That's a good way to start a story. I love ribs. I remember, I love ribs. I remember hearing about this particular restaurant that had amazing ribs, and a bunch of friends and I uh, drove almost an hour to get there. This place was packed. The food was great. It was all you could eat rib night. And the rib bones were piling up as fast as the line could get in. As you know, eating ribs is a messy business. Barbecue sauce gets on your face and on your fingers and on your clothes and the dirty napkins pile up next to half-eaten bowls of baked beans and coleslaw. And When our crew, the crew who had come with me, when we, when we'd eaten all we could eat, we paid our tab and then we waddled out to the car. And that's when I reached into my pocket for my keys and I came up with nothing but Lent. Starting to panic, I looked through the window at the ignition. I was hoping that I had locked my keys in the car because in the back of my mind, a more disgusting possibility was taking shape. I saw that the ignition was empty. I knew exactly where my keys were. The keys to my car, to my house, to my office. Only seconds earlier, those precious keys had slid right off of my tray and followed a half-eaten corn cob and several bones to the bottom of a trash can. I had thrown away my keys on all-you-can-eat rib night. <laughs> it was a long walk home. It was a long walk home, and my friends were not going to do my dirty work for me, so I dove in. I fished through bones and beans and barbecue and corn and cake and coleslaw and a host of saliva-soaked napkins. Ugh. A shiny layer of trash can slime had coated my arms before I finally grasped hold of those precious keys. And that's the story. Now, what does that have to do with our sermon today? Hmm. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Absolutely everything. Everything. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. You'll notice while you're turning there, you've got cards. Michelle's going to talk about this in a little bit. Christmas in July. Well, let's hear a Christmas sermon. It's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. I want to put a tag on this message. 
the son's body, here it is, our dumpster diving God. Our dumpster diving God. Hear these words from the word. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of God. So we've been in a series on human embodiment. And we've been talking about various aspects of the human body. We've said that according to God's word, we are created. He created us, Genesis 1 and 2. We are created bodies. We are gendered body, uh, bodies. God, God created us and determined our gender for us. We are particular bodies. We are social bodies. We're created for community. We've talked about the suffering body, the disabled body. We've talked about the disciplined body. Last week, we talked about the mortal body. And today, I want us to talk about the critically important doctrine of the son's body. I want to talk about the doctrine of the incarnation, to incarnate, incarnate, chili con carne. Chili with what? Meat. God con carne. God with flesh. That's the doctrine of the incarnation. The doctrine that God became human. And our scripture is really one of the most explicit discussions and teachings about the doctrine of the incarnation, God in the flesh. And I just want to answer two questions here this morning. What does it mean that God came in the flesh? What? And then the second question is why? Why? Well, I mean, why did Jesus do this? What and why? That's all I want to talk about this morning here. Now, before I get into the, to the what of the text, let me tell you wh why this entire discussion matters. And it's so, so important that you hear me. I want to, two reasons, one on a corporate level and one on a personal level, okay? Corporately, I don't have to convince anyone here that there is a deep partisan spirit that has infected our nation, all right? This is our only hope. This is our only hope. Okay. The gospel is good news, not good advice. 
and for our nation to remain, for our nation to remain, we need to receive and enjoy and celebrate and live out this good news. I believe that. But let me talk to you about something personal now, individual for all of us. And it has to do with the, the why of these verses in the context of the book of Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews is actually not a letter, it's a sermon. It's a sermon that was preached. And it was preached to exhausted people. Anybody here exhausted today? Anybody here fatigued? Anybody here feeling just this, this season of languishing, you know? I mean, I have. It, it seems like my exercise walks are more like just kind of, you know, mini steps now, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just in like, they're like exercise crawls, you know? So what's, a, what's, a, what's good news to brothers and sisters who are having a hard time enduring and persevering, you know? You see, it's, har it's hard to endure when you feel disapproval, isn't it? it? It's hard to endure when you feel like whatever you do isn't enough. You know, it's like you're waiting tables and whatever you do or say, it's not enough. And you feel like quitting. And these verses are about God saying, you know, Randy, Michael, Susan, I don't disapprove of you. Some of you, some of us, there have been seasons in my life when I just kind of feel like God has this low-grade level of irritation with me all the time. That's not in these verses here, okay? These verses are about God saying, I don't disapprove of you, and here's why. And I don't want you to feel like you're a table waiter for me. What I want is for you to take off your server's apron and join me around my table. I want these verses to help you. And, and so these verses tell us the what and the why behind that. That's, that's how meaningful these are. All right. So let's get into the questions. What does it mean that Jesus came in the flesh? It means that he became human like you and I are human. That's what it means. It's real simple. Look at verse 14. He himself likewise partook of the same things. Same things. What does that mean? Same aspects of being human. Verse 17. He had to be made like his brothers. And when you see brothers, it's his brothers and sisters. He had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect. So, so that's the passive voice, right? He had to be made, meaning he didn't do this himself. It was done to him by God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. So to partake of the same things means that the God who created everything that we see, every, all that is seen and unseen, this God stepped into his creation as if a painter walking right into his painting and living in that world subject to that world. It means that, Je it means that Jesus was born like you and I were born. He, his birth was normal and natural. Now, his birth was normal and natural. His conception was extraordinary and supernatural. Jesus did, Jesus did not inhabit an already existing body. That's, that's science fiction. 
No, he became human, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, to partake of the same things. To partake of the same things means that, that when he grew up, he grew up like you and me. It means that he experienced hunger and thirst. To, to partake of the same things means that, that he got sleepy and he wept and he sweat and he bled. He felt fatigue. To partake of the same things means that you know, he didn't flutter about like a ghost or a spirit. To partake of the same things means that he had eyes and ears and a mouth and nose and chest and stomach and hands and feet just like you and I do. His mother nursed him like any other child was nursed when he was conceived and developing in Mary's womb. He had the same anatomy and the same physiology and the same biochemistry and the same central nervous system and the same genetic code as any other human being. He's the particular son of a particular woman within a whole genetic lineage of David. Ethnically, he was Hebrew, so he, he spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. His body possessed the XY chromosome. The Y chromosome is always provided by the biological father. In this case, the Bible says he was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's why he was male. So he was a particular Jewish male in the first century. To partake of the same things meant more than just physically, but psychologically. He had human psychology. So some people assume that Jesus' infancy was, you know, kind of like Hollywood's movies, those old movies, you know, Baby Geniuses, or Look Who's Talking. Those are, those are baby boomer movies, okay? I'm trying to get everybody here, right? Uh, and and the, uh, uh, most lately were these commercials with the E-Trade baby, you know? You're there. You're with me here. Okay, so this baby is cooing, but that's just a cover for sophisticated language and intellect. So it's like, you know, the 10-month old infant Jesus, you know, is going, you think I'm a helpless infant, but I know that I created the universe. So, I mean, that's actually a church heresy in history. <laughs> no, no, to partake of the same things means that his mind was subject to the same laws of perception and memory and logic and development. Jesus grew in wisdom just as he grew in physical stature. He observed and he learned and he remembered and he applied. And, listen, to partake of the same things means that he, he was human emotionally, like you and I are humans emotionally. So he felt joy. He felt sorrow. He felt anger. He felt grief. And, and he felt such distress from life's pressures. It was as if his life was threatened. Dr. Luke says that the pressure was such the night before he died that his sweat was like drops of blood. He felt the temptation of sexual immorality. He felt the temptation of revenge at being misunderstood and gossiped about he felt the temptation of greed he felt the temptation to abandon his father's will for short-term relief he he felt what it was like to be utterly alone utterly alone have you ever been in a crowd like this and yet you feel by yourself see that's how jesus was in gethsemane though he was surrounded by his disciples, he felt alone. The night before his crucifixion, 
There was just, there was no one to help him. The disciples with whom he had asked them to pray for him fell asleep. No other human joined Jesus in crying out to God. Yeah, he was with others, but he felt lonely. In fact, Luke says that an angel finally appeared to strengthen him. And then on the cross, Jesus felt utterly alone. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Have you ever said that in your prayers? Well, you're not the first. Jesus said that before you. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This was the son who enjoyed absolute unity and oneness in companionship with the father. This was the son who stood before his father to answer for the sin of the world. This was the son who identified with us and our sin. Jesus became the greatest sinner ever on the cross. No one feared death as much as Jesus. And he feared it because for him there would be no mercy. His death was cruel and pitiless. He was totally exposed to God's abhorrence of sin. And he would face death without his father. On the cross, Jesus was completely on his own. Oh, listen. The wonder of Christ's love is not that for our sake he faced death without fear, but that for our sake he faced it utterly terrified. Terrified by what he knew. Terrified by what he did not know. He took damnation without complaint. You and I both know that this is not an easy world in which to believe in a God of love. Death stalks us. Disease is a constant companion. Wars and criminal activities destroy life. So to claim that God not only exists but is good, you know, how do you know this? Where's the evidence? And Hebrews says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 says, He is not ashamed to call them brothers. There is no one in this room that Jesus is ashamed of. No one. You, you can't embarrass him or mortify him. You can't make him regret his love for you. You can't. You, you, know, you know that we live in a cancel culture, right? Jesus doesn't do cancel culture. We live in a world of ungrace. Jesus doesn't do ungrace. Hebrews chapter 2, 12. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Our dumpster diving God. You get it? He's not afraid to associate with us. As much, you know what? Here's what I'm trying to say. So why are you talking about, did you really make it a big point of this? It is a big point. What I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus gets you. He gets you. He gets your struggles. He gets your challenges. He gets your temptations. And as much as I try to, as your pastor who loves you, I can only go so far. That's the honest truth. I can pray. I can listen. I can give you attention. But the bottom line is, I don't totally get you. I don't even totally get me. But I know someone who does. Jesus. Jesus gets you. And that he put on flesh means he came to be near. 
I am with you is Jesus' gift to fearful people. And our fears usually imply that we need someone, the right protector, the right fixer, someone who's close and who is for us. Jesus is that someone. I came here to tell you that today. Verse 18 says, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He, he is the, verse 17, merciful and faithful high priest. Merciful. He doesn't just feel mercy. He doesn't just, mercy, it's not just, oh, really, wow, I really feel sorry for you. Okay, see you later. That's not Jesus. It's a mercy that is not only felt, but it's a mercy that acts on our behalf. The what? He put on flesh. He came. He experienced everything we experience. He gets us. He's merciful. He did this not only that he could just feel mercy, but so that he could act in mercy. And that takes us to the why, question number two. Why? Well, he came in the flesh so that he could destroy and so that he could deliver. So he came on a destroy, and our dumpster diving God came so that he could destroy and so that he could deliver. He came in the flesh so that he could destroy our accuser and so that he could deliver us home to him. He's our home. And so you'll see in these few verses, you see how many times the word that or so that appears in, in 14 and 15, 16, 17, 18. So that, they're purpose clause statements. So that he put on flesh, so that he might destroy, so that he might deliver, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, so that he might make propitiation. We're going to talk about that in a minute. For the sins of the people. So, so, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. So Jesus put on a body. He came so that through his death he might destroy. Destroy. That word means to render powerless. That word means to destroy. So the serpent is still the serpent. But he, ha he is a defanged serpent. His teeth are out. Jesus did not come in the flesh. Jesus did not come in the flesh to make peace with Satan. He came to yank his fangs out. He came to render him powerless. He came to do combat. Jesus is our representative champion who is fighting for us. For us so that through death he might deactivate Satan's deceptive activities. Through death. Through his death. But how does Christ's own death defang the devil? Here, here, here. By removing the one obstacle that will keep you from a relationship with God. The one, there's only one obstacle that keeps us from God, church. Only one. And that is unforgiven sin. The sole artillery in Satan's armory is our unforgiven sin. 
So the only reason why we're separated from God for all eternity in hell is because of our own sin. One scholar put it this way, all Satan can do is fight like hell to keep you sinning and to keep you away from the one who wants to forgive your sin. Because once your sin is forgiven and absolved and pardoned, God's judicial wrath is satisfied. Judicial wrath. So when you hear about the wrath of God, please don't walk away thinking, oh, God is just this moody, temperamental deity who just goes off on the edge. That's not him. It's judicial wrath. Judicial wrath. It means that God is just. He's a God of integrity and a God of character. And what that means is that he takes disobedience and lawlessness and sin seriously for everyone without partiality. I mean, we do want injustice prosecuted in our world, do we not? We want it dealt with. But if God were to eliminate all sin at midnight tonight, where would you be at 12.05 a.m.? That is what I call bad news. I need some good news. Well, the good news is that Christ came. The one lethal strategy Satan has is to accuse you of your sin and to keep you sinning and to keep you from Christ who loves you and wants to forgive you because when your sins are forgiven and the judicial wrath is removed, Satan has no power at all. None. He can't intimidate you anymore because of the death, burial, and resurrection of our King. He has no power over me because I have an advocate in heavens who defends me against Satan's indictments. And the reason why Jesus defended me is because he put on flesh and he lived the life that I should have lived and he died the death that I should have died. He died for me. He rescued me. And now I'm free. I mean, I'm totally free. He, he made, here it is, propitiation propitiation say that with me on three one two three propitiation one more time one two three propitiation propitiation means that Jesus stepped in front of me to take for me what should have come to me and what is that that's the judicial wrath of God Jesus took the penalty for me and now I'm free I'm free God is holy and God is just and God is a God of integrity. And, and, and listen, this is, just, this is just fact. In Islam, Allah simply dismisses sin. Just kind of arbitrarily, because he wants to. But our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Christianity takes sin and disobedience before a holy God seriously. So God the Son enters our space in a body for us, to live for us, perfect in every way. His, his enemies couldn't accuse him. His enemies couldn't. And I mean, his disciples lived with him. I mean, it wasn't an eight to five job. Then he went home, took off the persona. I mean, this is 24-7. He was always under, under the watchful eyes. 
how remarkable it was who must have witnessed this, this, this God-man for years. And this innocent God-man was misunderstood, falsely accused, gossiped against, beaten, and crucified. His was not a sanitary death. It was a dumpster death. That's crucifixion. And the judicial wrath of God, which would have fallen on me and us, instead fell on the innocent Son of God. But he didn't stay dead, did he? In his resurrection, God vindicated his Son. And he is the, now the true King of glory. God super exalted his Son and gave him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Son of God became what he was not so that we could become what he is. And now, if I am in him God sees me as he sees Jesus. Oh, that's, that's what I came to tell you today. Amen. You believe that? I believe that. I couldn't preach if I didn't believe that. Listen, I'll tell you about a preacher named Martin Luther, who he, when he was tormented over the guilt of his past, he would talk back to the devil, and he would say, I am baptized. I am baptized. What do you mean by that? Well, it didn't mean there's magic in the water. No, no, he was appealing to what that symbolized. He was appealing to the verdict of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because you see, if God the Holy Spirit is in you, and you are in God the Son, and God the Son is in the bosom of God the Father, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been washed, we've been justified, we've been sanctified, we've been cleansed. We are guiltless, not by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of King Jesus. Oh, man. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Jesus makes the unsullied garment of his life our covering beauty. Jesus makes the glittering virtues of his character our ornaments and jewels. Jesus makes the superhuman meekness of his death our boast and glory. He bequeaths us his manger from which to learn how God came down to man. He bequeaths us his cross to teach us how man may go up to God. And all of his thoughts and emotions and actions and utterances and miracles and intercessions were for us. And they still are. Listen to me. If you are in Christ, you will not expire when your human heart expires. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death for the Christian is stepping from this realm to the heavenly realm. Because God has not destined us for wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died and was raised for us so that whether we live or die, we're with him. Man. Does that help you want to endure? Will you keep just preaching that sermon? I don't have seven steps. 
I have Jesus. We really do matter to Jesus. As the poet wrote, and then I'm going to sit down. We say, I can't go on. Jesus says, I will hold you so you can. We say, I don't think I can even believe that. Jesus says, even when you are faithless, I'll be faithful. We say, I feel so alone. Jesus says, I'm Emmanuel, God with you, God never leaving your side. We say, but what's the point? My life is over. Jesus says, I am your life. I'm never over. We say, but look what I've done. I'm dirty. Jesus says, look what I've done for you. I've taken your dirt and smeared it all over me. You are clean. I am filthy. See me dirty on the cross. See you clean beneath it. We say, nobody wants me. Jesus says, I want you. I want you. Amen. Oh, God. Thank you.